God bless you so much again for being here. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I prepared all week for 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Had my outline done by Thursday. I emailed it to uh, my administrative assistant. She got the slides made up. They got it back there on the back. And uh, I was uh, going through it last night, preparing once again my final run through. And the Holy Spirit of God <laughs> arrested my heart and said, uh, you can't preach that tomorrow. And I said, but why? I'm prepared it. And he said, are you going to argue with me? I said, no, sir. And so I said, what would you like for me to preach, Lord? And uh, which should have been the question at the very beginning of the week. And uh, he said, not that. And I said, well, you're going to get, I mean, I don't know where I'm going. And uh, he said, I'll tell you. And uh, I just went to bed. <laughs> and I got up this morning, and this was the text the Lord had before me. So this morning I came in, I told the gentleman back in the back, I said, look, just put up the Memorial Day picture there, and uh, we'll see what the Lord's going to do. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter number 12, I want to pick up in verse number 28 where the scribes are asking Jesus, uh, what is the first commandment of all? What, what's the greatest commandment there is? If you found your place in Mark chapter number 12, we're going to pick up in verse number 28. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that they had uh, answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And this, this is the first commandment, and the second is likely naming this, that thou shalt love your neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You may be seated. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You know, Memorial Day is much more than just a three-day weekend and a chance to get the year's first sunburn. Memorial Day is a national holiday honoring American soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice to their country. Uh, a, an artist by the name of Kelly Strong wrote a poem about uh, her father. She wrote this in honor of her father, who was a United States Marine who served two tours in Vietnam. Listen to the words of this poem. She says, I watched the flag pass by one day. It fluttered in the breeze. A young Marine saluted it, and then he stood at ease. I looked at him in uniform, so young, so tall, so proud, with hair cut square and eyes alert, he'd stand out in any crowd. I thought, how many men like him had fallen through the years? How many died on foreign soil? How many mothers' tears? How many pilots' planes shot down? How many died at sea? How many foxhole soldiers' graves? No freedom is not free. I heard the sound of taps one night when everything was still. I listened to the bugler play and felt a sudden chill. I wondered just how many times that taps meant amen when a flag had draped a coffin of a brother or a friend. I thought of all the children of the mothers and the wives, of fathers, sons, and husbands with interrupted lives. I thought about the graveyard at the bottom of the sea, of unmarked graves in Arlington, 
no freedom isn't free. What a true statement. The freedom that we have in the United States of America truly wasn't free. And it's good for us to pause and to remember those fallen soldiers. It's, it's good for us to pause and think about these things. It's good to have a memorial day. Every Sunday is a memorial day. We remember Jesus. Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice who paid the ultimate price for the ultimate war, that is the war on sin. Jesus paid it all. Just as Jesus paid it all in the United States of America, the scripture rings true. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. And because the United States of America looks to God, he is the one by which we turn to. We see, we see that there is a, a foundation that's got cracks in it, and it seems that, that it is crumbling. In fact, the psalmist said, and we'll look at it here in just a few moments, what can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? Dear friend, it's good for us to pause. It's good for us to think about how freedom wasn't free. It wasn't free here in the United States, and your freedom's not free in heaven. It came through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. In thinking about Memorial Day, even though numerous communities had been independently celebrating it for many, many years, the federal government declared Waterloo, New York, the official birthplace of Memorial Day. Waterloo was celebrated its first holiday on May the 5th, 1866. Memorial Day was celebrated on May the 30th for decades, but in 1971, Congress established Memorial Day as the last Monday in May and made it a federal holiday. Memorial Day originally honored military personnel who died in the Civil War from 1861 to 1865. Roughly 620,000 Americans died in the Civil War, making it the deadliest war in American history. About 644,000 Americans have died in all other conflicts combined. And then President Clinton signed the National Moment of Remembrance Act on December the 28th in the year 2000. This declaration designated 3 p.m. local time on Memorial Day as a National Moment of Remembrance. It wasn't always Memorial Day. It used to be known as Decoration Day. And on Decoration Day, if you remember those days, you remember you'd come to church and there'd be red poppies everywhere. The red poppies are known as a symbol of remembrance, and it's a tradition to wear them to honor those who died in war. Today, we may not have poppies on around the room, but we pause today to remember the sacrifice of those who made it so, so that you and I can live in the United States of America, a nation of freedom, a nation where I don't worry today about anyone coming in and trying to make me stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3, we read this question. If the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? This morning, I want to call your attention to think with me about that great general, George Washington. George Washington at Valley Forge is pictured by way of paintings and other memorabilia. Him standing on a bleak, wintry day as uh, one of the, in front of one of those uh, wretched old huts as he's facing the Continental Army. He's cold, he's wet, he's hungry, he's standing there in the wind and in the snow. And someone had captured the words that George Washington said at that very moment. 
As he's preparing to go to war, he turns to those that are around him and he says this, and I quote, Men, I want to tell you that the men will think lightly of this liberty when they forget what it has cost. We're living in an America where, where we are slowly forgetting the cost of liberty. We all need to remember that the price that was paid by those who laid the foundations of our nation for the freedoms which we enjoy today, may God help us to remember the blood, the sweat, the tears that were shed to bring this nation into being. We must never forget those rugged, independent-minded colonists of the 1700s who balked at the idea of taxation without representation and the idea that the British government could put restrictions on religious practice. And those colonists said, no more. We believe the Bible, and we want a nation that believes the Bible. So they stood before the British king. And then on March 23, 1775, a 39-year-old man by the name of Patrick Henry stood with his chin in the wind and he simply said this to the Virginia House of Burgess. He said, I appeal to the arms and to God, the God of hosts. He's all that we've got left. But we shall not fight alone. God presides over the destinies of nations and will rise up friends for us. The battle is not to the strong alone, it's to the vigilant, it's to the active, it's to the brave. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of the chain of slavery? Forbid it, God Almighty. I know not what other courses may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. When looking at the history of the United States of America, knowing that she was not perfect, the colonists wanting the word of God to stand and the stain of slavery even today hurts our hearts and soul for that's not what the Word of God preaches but we know that in light of the context by which I stand to you today in 2019 in the United States of America the foundations are being destroyed and there must be a clear middle sea that says this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles during the Revolutionary War, and when it began on April 19, 1775, with what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the shot heard around the world, when the colon colonial troops clashed with the British soldiers at Lexington, Massachusetts, there was an effort to prevent any further bloodshed. But the die had already been cast, and the war was already accelerating. And one of the major battles, the battle at Bunker Hill near Boston on June 17, 1775, the colonists knew that they needed a unified army. So the Second Continental Congress elected General George Washington as the commander of the All-American Forces. And on July the 3rd, 1775, General Washington took charge. General Washington was a man of prayer. If you want to read a good book, I would go on Google or I would Google the prayers of George Washington. George Washington wrote his prayers down. He would journal them in his journal. They're public today and it's absolutely amazing the faith that this man had. On July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence. This officially ending ties between the American colonists and the British government. 
The war raged on in both land and sea, and many were killed. There were some memorable examples of, hero, of, of heroism during those very difficult days. For instance, on September 22, 1776, Nathan Hale, as he stood before the British, as he was captured, and they were going to put him to death by way of execution, they called him a spy. And they looked at him that day, and they said, do you have any final words? And Nathan Hale looked at those British soldiers, and he said this, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Several other nations joined the conflict on the sides of the colonists, and finally, in the war's last major battle, General Cornwallis and his British troops surrendered at Yorktown. Then in 1783, the war formally ended with the signing of the Treaty of Paris, thus giving uh, birth to a new nation. And the 13 colonies now had become the independent states, the independent United States of America. This nation was founded on faith in God. This nation was founded on the one by which we reverence Jesus Christ himself. It was founded on the reverence of the inerrant word of the living God. The Bible is what this nation was founded on. And we live by Christian principles. That's why the God blessed America in Psalm 32, 12. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's and who people by whom we have chosen to be his inheritance. John Quincy Adams said, and I quote, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. If a national leader were to say such that and make a statement like that, the liberals would have a conniption fit. But this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And John Quincy Adams was right. He is right that in regards to this issue, when this nation was founded, it was founded and connected with two indissolvable bonds, the principle of civil government and the principles of Christianity. The architects of this nation were God-fearing men. A majority of them feared God in such a way, while I cannot stand before you and say they gave clear testimony, there is no doubt that they were God-fearing men. They feared God to such a capacity that they studied the Word of God. They studied the Hebrew Scriptures. They studied the Greek manuscripts. They studied them in such a way so that they might understand what does the principles of the Word of God mean in relationship to a culture where God is at the center. James Madison, the, one, the uh, man that was most responsible for writing the Constitution, said this. Listen to what he said, and I quote, We have staked the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. And what have we done to the Ten Commandments? Man, we're covering them up in courthouses. We've removed them from school institutions. We're hiding them and tucking them away from monuments and precious uh, examples by which our founding fathers wanted them displayed. 
on buildings that are being sandblasted off. That today, the social chaos that we are now experiencing was predicted by Noah Webster, the writer of Webster's Dictionary. Listen to what Noah Webster said. Noah Webster said, and I quote, All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Now let me read it again, and I want you to focus on the words of Noah Webster because Noah Webster, you've seen the book he wrote, he can say a mouthful. Noah Webster said, all the miseries, all the evil, all the stuff that men suffer from, vice, crime, evil ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and even war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Dear friend, that is where we're at today. We have despised the Word of God. We have neglected the Word of God. We might say that, yeah, we believe the Word of God, but do we read it? We might say that we love Jesus, but do we have fellowship with Him? We might say that, yes, we're religious, but do you have a relationship with Him? The first president of the United States stated this. He listened to what he said. He said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. He said, you can't do it. America has changed greatly since that time. Forsaking moral values, we grow colder and colder towards Christianity. Throughout the centuries, there have been many events which have been turning points to America's decline. A decline that has occupied the homes in American culture today and also American churches. Perhaps uh, the first major turning point in America occurred in er the early church Puritans' age. Uh, in the early church Puritans, if you wanted to join the church and you were a prospective member, then you had to literally recite, you had to say and write out your testimony before becoming a member. And then, after giving that clear testimony, you could then uh, take communion if, it was by, if your testimony was by faith through grace. And only then could you be baptized, and then you were given the liberty of full membership. However, less and less people could give a clear testimony as time began to move forward. Finally, they came up with a term. It was called a halfway covenant. And the halfway covenant simply said this. Well, in order for you to join a church then, you may not have a clear testimony, but if your grandmother had a clear testimony, or if your grandfather had a clear testimony, then we'll accept you uh, on that basis. And so people would come and they would join the church off their grandmother or grandfather's testimony. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. You might have been able to join the church on your grandfather's testimony, but you will not go to heaven on your grandfather's testimony. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Those that were baptized today come to the realization that they could not save themselves. They could not get to heaven on their grandmother's testimony, their grandfather's testimony. They couldn't get wet enough to get to heaven. They couldn't go through sacrifices enough to get to heaven because Jesus paid the ultimate price for them to get to heaven. He died on Calvary's cross. 
We're living in a day where we try to testify to the fact of halfway covenants. No, we don't have halfway covenants at Maidsville. I like what John Reed said. John Reed says, you either got a testimony or a testifony. A halfway covenant testimony is a testifony. So we find that over the course of the decades, more and more churches have grown and grown and grown. They grow to the point where you have lost people that are joining the church off the testimony of their grandmother or grandfather, and lost people are leading the church today. And we wonder why we don't have revival. Uh, Three men that lived and worked in the 19th century probably had one of the most profound detrimental effects on the United States of America. I want to give you their names. Number one, Charles Darwin. Number two, Sigmund Freud. And number three, Julius Wellhausen. The publishings of Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, in 1859 laid the foundation for an even greater corruption of thought in American culture through what he called the theory of evolution. Now, let me just say this right there. Here's a parenthetical thought for you. It's still the theory of evolution. And and, and by the way, let me give you a parenthetical thought on that too. This is what I do not understand. I have the hardest time, DeWitt, comprehending this. I have the hardest time comprehending while we fall hook, line, and sinker for, if you will, the theory of evolution, which still has not been proved to be factual, yet you go to the garden tomb where Jesus Christ was buried, and it's empty. He's alive. There's a record showing that he's alive. It's 100% fact. Jesus is alive. It ain't no theory. I'm going to tell y'all, like I told that at 9.30, if you're going to clap, clap and make the devil mad. I mean, make him mad. Please. I mean, and when you do, it's like saying sick him to a dog. Somebody said, you about jumped off the stage at the 9.30 hour. Man, y'all about to preach me to death. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was alive yesterday, he's alive today, and bless God, he'll be alive forevermore. You can take your theories and you can box them up, and you can take your trip around the world and still not have nothing when you get back. But you come to Jesus, and he'll give you life everlasting, full of glory and grace. You won't be perfect, but bless God, you'll be sanctified. I've totally lost my place in my notes. Bless God, I like it when the preacher does that. Hmm. I just don't understand. I don't understand how we can fall for a, a, a story that, number one, cannot be proven factual, that says, up from the ooze you arose. When the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I think Solomon, one of the wisest, the wisest man in the Bible outside of Jesus Christ, Solomon said this, God has put eternity in your heart. That's what Solomon said. But we have become educated far beyond our own intelligence. In fact, what I'm doing today, preaching a message like this, those educated in the higher echelons of higher education, see how foolish that is. Let me tell you what the Bible says about it. 
The Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching that people come to Christ. I promise you, one, throughout the centuries, what I'm, what I'm doing today has always been considered foolish. But the Bible says to us that believe, it's the power of God. And so as the power of God rests upon this place, as the Holy Spirit reigns within us, dear friend, we've got something the world doesn't have. We've got a blessed assurance that as to the midnight cry, when Jesus comes forth, we're going to split, we're going to leave it with them, praise God. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not willing to go alone. I'm going to try to take as many of them with me as I can. We also find here, uh, if you would, Sigmund Freud. What, what, what was his deal? Sigmund went on to develop his own ideas based on the logical conclusions of Darwin. Uh, he built upon these ideas, and he applied these ideas by which he built them on to uh, psychology and psychiatry. And from this man came the notion that we can understand ourselves through our feelings. And this still impacts society today. We're told in our society today, you do whatever makes you feel good. Thus, we wouldn't want to believe a God that hates sin. Why? Because sin is pleasing to us. Let me tell you what the Bible says about that. The Bible says sin is pleasing for a season. The Bible says it is good for a season. You enjoy it. It is good. But the Bible says in the end it's bitter. In the end it's death. He says you enjoy your sin for a season, but you carry that sin all the way to its ultimate goal, and it will be bitter death. While the aforementioned men affected the areas of science and education, Julius Wellhausen, a German scholar, he affected the church. He wrote in his books, and he taught that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Penta being five, two mean coming from God. Not attitude, but a glorified gift from God. And he says that it was compiled over several years in various places and it was pieced together. And this was the major step when he wrote that article. When he wrote it, it was the major step we took to the fallibility of the Bible. I'm here to tell you when you start questioning this instead of letting this take care of you, the devil's got you right where he wants you. We're living in a culture today which says, oh, man, why would you want to believe such an archaic book? Don't you know that it's full of errors? Don't you know that it's not accurate? It's fallible? Dear friend, don't you see that that's the same trick the devil was trying to place with on Eve? God did not say. God knew that if you knew that he's hiding something from you, it can't be as simple as trusting in the Messiah. It cannot be true. It cannot be a creation. There cannot be, the, there cannot, there cannot, there cannot. And if doubt comes into your mind, oh, dear friend, listen, you are headed down a path of destruction. Unfortunately, the scientifically accurate claims of evolution always fall into the arena of theory. 
where the Bible is not a book on science, when it speaks of science, it says that God is the one that created it. The Bible is not a book on, on, on health, but when it speaks of health, it speaks in the area of what make, can make you healthy. I find it so fascinating. We don't want to believe the book, but we'll go to Ingalls or, or Kroger and we'll walk down to Bread Island and see Ezekiel bread. <laughs> you ever thought about that? It's Ezekiel bread. What's that doing there? It come out of the Bible. And then people talk about the Daniel fast and, and want to practice the, the principles of the Bible. And here's what's fascinating. I, it doesn't matter if you're lost or saved. When you practice the principles of the Bible, they work. And yet we don't believe it. In 1963, prayer was removed from our schools. During Ronald Reagan's presidency, he recognized the danger of this. And listen to what Ronald Reagan said, and I quote. He says, our Pledge of Allegiance states that we are one nation under God. And our currency bears the motto, in God we trust. The morality and values such faith implies are deeply embedded in our national character. Our country embraces those principles by design, and we abandon them at our peril. Yet in recent years, America has, for the sake of religious tolerance, forbidden religious practice in the classroom. The law of this land has effectively removed prayer from our classrooms. Here's the question. How can we hope to retain our freedom through the generations if we fail to teach our young that our liberty springs from an abiding faith in our Creator. That's what Ronald Reagan said. And now here in 2019, his words haunt us. Why? Well, because we see what it's given us. It's given us a culture where we only find acceptance through social media likes. It's given us a culture who will do anything to anybody to do whatever they've got to do to achieve whatever they want to get to. It's given us a, a self-centered culture in which we take care of ourselves and, and doesn't care about anybody else. Let me, let me share what happened yesterday. Yesterday we're in Walmart. Yes. And as we're in Walmart, it's me and Miriam and John Grady, and we're coming around the corner. And here's this grandmother in a panic. And she comes right up to John Grady. I mean, Miriam and I are there. Comes up to John Grady. She says, are you the young boy that was playing ball with that little kid? He, he had on a white shirt, orange, orange around the shoulders, kind of cut uh, like that had shorts on and short kid and started describing and John's been with us the whole time he he, he wasn't playing in the with the balls and uh, I, I said no I I don't uh, John Grady said no I don't I don't know what you're talking about but he looks over here and he's like weirdo <laughs> and and so Miriam says well are you missing him she said yeah I can't find him I told him to come over here now Here's the decision we've got to make. Do we say, good luck, lady. Hope you find your grandkids. I need ice cream. Let's go. Or do we say, 
What does a child look like? What's his name? We're going to help you find him. John, you and I go this way. Mim, you go this way. Grandma, you go that way. And we're going to find him. And off we went. What turned into a grocery run now has become a, a search and find experiment. Can we find him? He was up and down the aisles calling his name. No answer. I could hear the grandmother in the back calling his name. And she says, I'm getting a little bit worried. We turned the corner and we're walking down an aisle. And I saw the little fella shoot across. I said, found him. There he goes right there. Junker said, yeah, that's him, Daddy. Let's go get him. Ma'am, just go, go, keep going that way. Turn right, go down three aisles, and you'll find him. Come down. And finally, to, to God be the glory, there was the little guy. What was he doing? Playing with the ball. He was in his own little, just having a big time in Walmart. I mean, like a big playground. What did that grandmother do? She said, thank you so very much for helping. Thank you for helping. Thanks for helping me find my grandson. So we'll, we'll invite you to be with us. We'll invite you to come to church. Well, thank you so very much. We shared a little bit. So, okay, it's time to go. So we left. We met her around the aisle, a couple aisles down in the grocery section. She had that little fella in the cart. <laughs> he ain't going nowhere. In the cart. And had the, the little phone. And he was watching Dora the Explorer or something. I don't know. Was not going anywhere. She said, he ain't leaving my side now. I said, I see that. And then I got to thinking about Jesus. We were lost. Doing our own thing. Playing down the aisle of sin. Enjoying the sins for the season. And God, the Bible says, demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To Calvary, Jesus went. Nailed himself to the cross, bled and died so that he might find us right where we're at. And once we are born again, once we realize Jesus is the Messiah and we come with a saving faith, a saving faith in Christ, he doesn't just rescue us. The Bible says he puts our feet on a rock. He separates us. And we are born again, his children, never, ever, ever, ever to leave him again. Secure. He's with us. We're with him. This nation can run, but it cannot hide. Dear friend, listen to me. You can run, but you can't hide from Jesus. Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we might be saved. Ronald Reagan said that the morality and values of such faith implies within us as a nation that there is a deep national character that we have because we believe the Bible. My question this morning is this in closing. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'll tell you what we can do. We can win somebody to Jesus. 
The Bible tells us over in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Dear friend, the Bible is very clear that we should repent and be saved. What's going to change this nation? Win somebody to Jesus. What can the church do? What can we do if our culture is going down a wrong path? We can win somebody for Christ. Number two, I'll tell you another thing we can do. We can disciple. We can get plugged in Sunday school. We, we can be such a beacon of hope here in Maysville, Georgia, that, listen, our Sunday school rooms could not contain. Say, I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I have a hard time coming because it's so packed. I mean, there's so much. We just don't have enough room. I, I just don't like it because we're so, we're so cramped. Well, bless God, listen, let's all get together and continue to be faithful. Don't, don't stop being faithful. The debt's going down. This building's coming up. We're going get a little bit more room i'm telling you god is moving in a mighty mighty way if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do we can win somebody to jesus and we can stay in sunday school number three if the foundations be destroyed what can we do we can fellowship with each other i need you and you need me we need each other the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Dear friend, if the foundations be destroyed, we can hang in there together. And then number, number four, I'm done after this. This will be my last one. I've got others, but I'm done. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's what we can do. We can pray. We can pray. My God is still a God that answers prayer. I'm telling you, God is in the midst, and, and I hear you. Right there's a miracle saying amen right there. That man right there should be dead. But God raised him up off that bed. I can remember looking at you in the ICU there, and there you were, and you just, probably talking out of your mind, you said, Preacher, please don't leave me. Please just stay here and talk to me a minute. And I stayed. We prayed. We, man, what a, and today, today, not only is he sitting in church, but he's thriving. God be dead. Another one sitting right here on the front row. Let me say, you know what was the deciding factor there? I believe prayer. Prayer. Right here's another one. Bless God, you minus one lung. Because the devil tried to kill you. And you sit there on the front row excited and, man, so grateful. You were at Walmart too last night. I saw you. Why? You and your wife leaving. You can run, but you can't hide from the preacher either. The bottom line is just simply this. That's a walking miracle right here. He's a walking miracle. He'll be dead. God's doing great work. Man, I I, I look out there. Rick, I see you sitting there. And you might not have had any major health problems, but I'm telling you, you were hell on wheels growing up. I'm not trying to be mean or ugly, but I see what God's done in your life. Here's a man sitting in church, not only sitting in church, took faith. Not only took faith, winning people to Jesus. Not only winning people to Jesus. Let me tell you what he did. He, he took Phil the other day. You don't know I know this. I'm about to tell on you. I took Phil the other day, and they went visiting. They went visiting, Abe. And as they went visiting, Phil had on khaki pants and a black shirt. You remember this? And he told Phil, they pulled up in a driveway, and they said, they ain't going to come to the door. Well, Phil looked at him like a calf looking at a new gate. He said, what do you mean they ain't going to come to the door? He said, they ain't coming. So there's cars here, some people there inside. It's obvious somebody's home. And he said, they ain't coming to the door. Phil said, why aren't they coming to the door? He said, because look at what you're wearing. You've got khaki pants and a black shirt. You look like you're from the county sheriff's department. 
Bless God, only a person that's been there knows that. And he was right. So from now on, on Monday nights, nobody can wear khaki pants and a black shirt. So how could you get to a place like that? Redemption. Redemption is how he got there. Danny, Danny, I see you. Bless God, visit every beer joint from here to there and yonder ways. But God rescued you out of that. Only Jesus. I'm going to tell you what a miracle's happened. A miracle has happened. Now, I don't want you to do this. Don't nobody run up to northeast Georgia. Don't nobody get on the phone and call Miss Marie. But I'm telling you, listen to me. Marie and John Adams. John Adams had a, a major heart attack this weekend. He fell at 1130 and hit his head. He was out. No oxygen to the brain for eight minutes. They took him to the hospital. The, the, uh, we, man, immediately when we got word, we started praying. I'm telling you, we were praying, God, we need you to demonstrate a miracle right now. We need you to do something great. The doctors came in and said, the next 72 hours is critical. On Monday, we're going to have to start warming his body up. And we're not expecting there to be any brain function at all. We're prepared for the worst. And then yesterday, that big, burly man of a state trooper, you know, he used to be a state trooper. He laid there in his bed. And they said, well, let's see what happens if we warm him up a little bit. And they warmed him up, and his eyes opened. And they asked him a question, and he started squeezing their hands. And then he started responding. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. What's the deciding factor of him? When a man's been dead for, for eight seconds, ain't got no, brain, no oxygen to the brain, how on earth can he survive such a thing? Prayer. We have not because we ask not. And you can't tell this man, you can't tell that man, you can't tell that man or this man. Prayer doesn't work. What's going to change this nation? This congregation right here getting in this altar and weeping over the sins of this nation and praying for God to bring revival again. That is a great Memorial Day. Let's bow for prayer. Dear friend, you might be here today. Maybe you've thought about the culture that we live in. You say, preacher, you're right. And in this nation, it is absolutely upside down. What we call right is now wrong, and what we call wrong is now right. We need a move of God. Dear friend, I want to have a different style of invitation tonight, this, this morning. And it's just simply this. If you're a member at Maysville Baptist Church and you've got two strong legs and God's given you the ability and liberty to stand up and walk and you can get down on your knees, I want to ask you to come this Memorial Day and pray for our nation. I'm going to ask you to leave 
your seat, climb up in this altar and pray to God that he'll have mercy on our nation and that we'll get back to fearing the Lord, that we'll get back to the Ten Commandments, that we'll get back to prayer. We need revival. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would have your way in this invitation. This is the message I know you've given me. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name.